Welcome rolling. back to the uh, fairly interesting podcast. What are we talking about yes, today, boys? Sir. Yes, sir. We're going to talk methane and... Methane accessories. Methane accessories. <laughs> methane and buffalo. Nice. Yeah. An accessory to methane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, methane's one of those... One of those uh, Issues that's in the news a lot around climate change and global warming, and their and uh, and by virtue of the ruminants and the 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 most popular ones being cattle, like cattle get the finger pointed at them as being the culprit of uh, you know poisoning the atmosphere with this gas that's called methane, a natural gas, um, and uh, and by implication that cattle farming is therefore bad because it's endangering the stability of our planet and runaway, runaway global warming. And uh, so cattle are bad and raising cattle is bad and, and also implies that the people raising the cattle, the families that raise cattle, are negligent or nefarious or, you know, less than, uh, less than honorable and responsible citizens, you know. Mm-hmm. So we would like to put this... Um, square this away, you know, and put it into perspective that that methane is natural. Uh, it's been with us forever, will be with us forever. There should be no alarmism around uh, cattle producing methane or any ruminants for that matter. And, um, and hopefully dispel some of the sort of fears that mm-hmm. that would we would guess uh, you know we'd say they're un, un unadvised you know misguided so they're trying to tackle that i think for the next while yeah cool and believe it yeah. or not there's it's not just cattle that make methane either but that is the one that gets harped on the most and yeah. ultimately you know it comes from fermentation and things like that break you know the breakdown of organic matter ends up making methane and so the natural one when people think of maybe it's not even natural but if you do try to pinpoint an area with fermentation that you can maybe manipulate it kind of points a finger at cattle and so i think that's part of it too but what's not uh it's not only cattle that you know that make methane yeah what what is methane like you know it's starting with one that. carbon <laughs> and four hydrogens and so it's the re- most reduced form of um, well, it's reducing CO2, okay. adding two more hydrogens to it, and it makes it CO2, then becomes CH4. And regardless of where it's coming from, what's the concern with it as it relates to... Um, Things used to just be talked about on a carbon basis, uh, CO2 basis for greenhouse gases. It seemed like CO2 dominated that discussion for a long time and then passed the torch to methane because its warming potential is greater mm-hmm. than okay. CO2. So it's able... It, um, and the specifics of what actually, how you quantify warming potential, I don't know exactly, but it's able to retain heat that comes into the atmosphere and doesn't relinquish it as, it, you know, it, it, estimates are quite a lot higher, 20 to 30% more warming potential, but uh, not percent, 25 times more warming potential. But I don't know if that number is actually right or not. It may be a little bit high, but it certainly has a greater warming potential than CO2. And sure. so that's part of why. Um, I think part of why the focus is on that is like if you can, if we're going to tackle this, we whoever's driving this, if the objective is to Greta. reduce warming, yeah, if Greta wants to reduce warming, where do you get the most bang for your buck? And it seems to be that methane has been the um, the one that has been settled on the most. Sure, but it's a, it's complicated because it's a 
It's an organic molecule, <laughs> as you've explained, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a gas. Is it, is it ever in a solid form as well, or is it only a gas? Just a gas. A gas, okay. Yeah. But then, you know, and you can talk about it having... There's, there's global warming gases, let's say. There's CO2 people talk about a lot. Carb- yeah, carbon is a bit solid form, but CO2 is a gas form. Can be compressed to be solid as well. But then there's methane, and there's is it nitrous? Um, it's another oxide. Is yeah, in the atmosphere is yep. another warming gas. And water vapor. And water vapor. Mm-hmm. And so, and then when you think about them as different potential to warm, um, so they have a a warming potential, which is a metric to try and or make relative to each other, mm-hmm. you know, which is higher and lower. And but um, but they but the other thing to keep in mind is while methane might have a higher warming potential than CO two as example, it's also an infinitely less quantity in our atmosphere mm-hmm. versus you know CO two, um, you know a couple of parts per million is it with methane? Um, well, way know? less. Yeah, CO two is confidently measured in parts per million, yeah. and methane can be picked up in parts per million, but it's really, really low. Yeah. So it's sometimes shown as parts per billion. So right. it's, it's no, very low. Might be. So because CO2 is approaching 400, yep, 400 um, parts, parts per, per million, million in the atmosphere. And methane might be you know, between zero to two, yeah. zero to three parts right. per million. So, uh, so it's so small, and CO2 is so small in the re- realm of... Um, you know, global warming gases. When you when you throw the 800 pound gorilla in there, which is water vapor, but it's always water vapor is always excluded. But you know, water vapor represents maybe like 75 percent of all um, warming gas and mm. you know impacts. Mm-hmm. So another thing about methane is, uh, as I've read, is that it um, turns over very quickly in the scheme of things. So Maybe you could talk about that. It's yeah. quite short-lived. That part of the equation, and all, a lot of the numbers that we see come from these models and um, modeling, you know, the um, total impact from certain industries or from certain practices. Um, but it, it all comes down to models, and models have to make assumptions, and it seems like a big amount of the assumptions forget or leave off the part where... Um, where methane actually gets removed from the atmosphere as well, and so it, it turns process? over, uh, it turns over much faster. So CO two, once CO two is, say, so it release it from the soil or something like that, it may stay stable in the environment for, you know, a thousand years. So it's a long time. So that actually is, um, there's a meaningful Im- impact from that. Methane is more like twelve years, ten years, and so it, you know, it, once it's released. Okay, it's adding to the atmospheric concentrations of methane. You know, um, say we were at zero, you release the first amount of methane. Okay, it went from zero to some methane now. For 12 years, there's going to be more methane, you know, during that 12-year chunk than there was compared to the previous 12-year chunk. But if the same amount of methane is produced on a flat line continuously for more than 12 years, it's not adding or taking away methane after that. So that's how that cycle kind of works. the first 12 are being... First 12 is rising up to a level, and then if you say you say flat there, then you should, in theory, be having no more added 
than what's taken out yeah. because of just the way that how does get works. taken out? What is? I don't. What do you mean by gets taken out of? Yeah, it just the mole, the it breaks down okay. somehow. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly gotcha. what that process is, but it um, returns to its parts of carbon and hydrogens dissociate uh, across in you a know, really short in a r- period of time comparatively to yep. basically yeah. anything else that happens in yep. I mean what else happens in so that yeah yeah right so that reaction in terms compared to CO2 sure. is really fast um, okay. you know it so it just takes 10 years for that those hydrogens to dissociate from that carbon um, but yeah so that part seems to be um, missed once in a while in these calculations. It's not to say that methane isn't rising in ambient concentrations, though, because that certainly has been happening. But I don't know if it's fully or completely clear the impact that you can actually just directly attribute to methane. Hmm. Part of it becomes is because that the removal part of the process is left out of these models sometimes. Yeah, well, just so we... We also establish where you know methane's coming from, because um, we're mostly interested in feeding people, you know, and food, mm-hmm. and and so that brings us to the ruminants, and yeah. ruminants are are implicated again because of their digestive system, which is a, has a fermentation chamber, and their which is in their rumen. Mm-hmm. So they're producing in this fermentation process, they produce methane, and then you hear about like no one even knew that methane existed really. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone that it existed in in cattle or sheep or deer um, until you know all the climate alarmism got going and they started to pin it on cattle mm-hmm. and but even today you know the the lay person is misunderstands it with um as they talk about cow farts mm-hmm. as example you know that's the fart tax that's been imposed in New Zealand and and I think some European countries are looking at imposing a tax for the, you know, so-called farting of methane from cattle, or sheep, or any other ruminant. But um, of course they don't fart it; they they belch it up as part of their eructation of the gas out of their rumen. So they've even got the wrong end of the animal for <laughs> emitting methane. Um, Did Burger King have a terrible campaign? Or yeah, like. With the like, little Hank Williams, that Mason oh Ramsey, God. the the Walmart yodeler, for those oh, listening that may remember him, right. um, his rise to fame for some reason that happened, um, you know, started for in Walmart and kind of, I don't know if it ended, but it brought him all the way to, <laughs> all the way to Burger King commercial. And they were, made this cute little video about cow farts and how, you know, the, the cattle are contributing to methane, but just look into their the, angle on it. I mean, they... Were they like trying to offset their carbon or well, their methane Probably. footprint? Like, yeah, I can't remember if this is when they were bringing in Beyond alternative meat. Plant based. Yes, I think it was. It was the, so the push Beyond that. meat. But, but it's like you can Google in 30 seconds and figure out that it doesn't come from the farts of yeah. cattle. And that fart's missed, though. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. So they even, so they got all that cocked up. And they don't know what they're talking about, but it doesn't matter. They're just selling. They're selling mm-hmm. a demonization of of farming ruminants. You yeah. know that's their goal. Yeah. And um, but they forget that also methane comes from everything that anything organic that decomposes. Uh, forests is a good example. As trees die and and decompose, they release methane. And so some of our greatest forests in the in the world, like the the taiga forest that spans. 
3,800 miles you know, across Russia and Siberia. You can imagine the methane that's coming out of that. Um, the Amazon rainforest. And then wetlands are particularly um, productive at methane um, yep. production. So, and here we have environmentalists, and we're all, we're all in favor of environmental um, health and quality, but, um, and we want wetlands because we want to hunt frickin' ducks. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, if you want more wetlands, people, for biodiversity and all these beautiful species to live in there, including ducks, <laughs> then you're going to produce more methane from it. <laughs> yes. And then they also forget that, you know... <laughs> there's a duck. There's a nice duck that would be a blue-winged teal. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then we also forget that our waste of all our food... You know, is decomposition in landfills is emitting methane, and then we have and, and mining for you know gas and petroleum. As we drill wells, we release methane, and you often see it at a refinery. They're flaring it off, you know, burning it off the excess. And then we also forget that volcanoes can spew mm. forth, you know, as much methane in like 20 minutes as the whole world or anthropogenic methane is emitted in a whole year. So, you know, but unfortunately cattle um, get, they're, they're the ones that are being pinpointed as being the poster child for, for, for jeopardizing the climate stability, you know, mm-hmm. of the world. And uh, it's just wrong, you know, on many reasons. So, and we'll chat a little bit about that now too. Yeah. Yep. I don't know where it comes from, but, or why the focus has been on them, but maybe it's, you know, you don't get emotionally attached to a to a wetland as much as you maybe do a cattle, and um, mm-hmm. so people in general want to see the life that's best for cattle. And if they're in the food chain, that means they're getting killed. And so I don't know if this sort of mindset, or if those sort of people also are the ones that grab onto that methane production in cattle is bad and needs to be fixed. I, I don't know if there's a connection with that type of person. I'm not sure if I'm even connecting it correctly, but. I don't know exactly why cattle have received the most attention, or maybe it's something that they just view it as the most solvable one. I don't know, because you see them out there. But yeah, without I've, getting conspiratorial, it's like right. it's tinfoil hat goes on, but it, it does seem like that it's there, to some degree there's a concerted effort to demonize you know meat consumption in general and right. and animal, animal agriculture, agriculture right. and yeah. eating animal foods. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I would argue that the people that are causing a fuss about this, they probably know. I mean, they should. It's obvious. Like, we just covered how many things off the top of your head. Um, but it's a way for them to, you know, check their agenda of ultimately... Getting rid know, of it. Getting rid of animal food and, and mm-hmm. eating meat. Um, I don't know. Again, you get back to why are they doing that and just keep asking that same question over and over and... Don't yeah. know that I have the answer, but I, I certainly know it's not everybody, but it's there is a absolutely a, a voice and a, a lobby out there trying to remove you know, eating meat from mm-hmm. well didn't the um uh, I don't want to quote myself, but didn't the World Economic Forum say that you know their ambitious goal for the for the EU in twenty thirty is zero kilograms of meat eaten per year and the attainable goal is, you know, something and they've publicly stated it now. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that that's that's true. I should, yeah, if I'm yeah. wrong, somebody let me know. But I, yeah, I, but I might be referencing it's the, the wrong direction thing. they want to go. Yeah. So I think you know, that that's want, a huge piece of it. Yeah. 
um, myself, but yeah. I don't know if there's certainly other elements yeah, at play, I'm, I'm sure. That and probably is it too, which a lot of our themes ultimately come back to back the same to sort of motivation, motivation that lingers psychology. up Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, they've, they're using, you know, the methane from cattle emission emitting from cattle. They don't even bother talking about with sheep or goats or, mm-hmm. you know, deer or camels or, because cattle is the iconic animal, so they, you know, and they got to target their, they got to target this marketing campaign, wage this war on a narrow front, and so mm-hmm. you know the, the this the, for them it's just a useful, it's a, methane is a useful tool to 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 help them further their agenda of of getting you know getting rid of farming animals mm-hmm. you know. And they conveniently can latch it onto climate change, and then. But then what? Say they say they accomplish that, mm-hmm. you know, say they get rid of farming animals, then we we return them to the wild. Yeah. Or well, do they? They don't. Maybe they don't think that far ahead. Or do they die know? off, and we have no animals. Or. Right. Because I don't. The way that this system works is if you've domesticated them or not, they're going to produce methane, and yeah. if they're against. I think they, they I think they would just don't want us to farm them. Yeah. Which brings up a good point, you know, like you know, here in America, today we have like ninety million cattle. Mm-hmm. Okay, dairy cattle and beef cattle. And um but you know, hundred and fifty years ago in the eighteen hundreds we had a similar number of ruminants, you know, here in North America. So we had about, you know, 60, 40 to 60 million buffalo by American bison. And we had about 45 million white-tailed deer. And we had 10 million elk and about uh, 2 million uh, bighorn sheep, Rocky Mountain sheep. And um, then we probably had a million, one and a half million moose, all ruminants. And so you're, you know, you're up around 100 Hundred or hundred and twenty million ruminants back then, mm-hmm. before there was any, you know, uh, influence of, of farming, you know, uh, in America, and today we have a similar amount of ruminants, and um, so the actual methane, to your point earlier, you know, the actual methane uh, emissions by ruminants on this continent will be very similar today as it was then. The big difference being back then, all those ruminants, you know, other than the ones that were hunted and eaten by the Indians, you know, the Plains Indians, which depended their whole life on them Mm -hmm. um, for everything, for their shelter and their tools and their food. Um, Those animals lived and died and were wasted. I mean, they became fertilizer. But Mm -hmm. now our 90 million you know, ruminants, they're giving milk every day that we're consuming for drinking milk and yogurt and ice cream. And, and then our beef, all those animals are consumed and turned into, you know, nutrition to feed humanity. And not just feed humanity, you know, we feed our pet world too. Mm-hmm. You know, think of, the, think of the, the, the tens of millions of pets in America, just dogs and cats alone that are eating, you know, all the ruminant byproduct as well. Not the cats that are on the vegan diet. <laughs> Just saw something about that recently. Good. Yeah. 
get more really, of them on it. Yeah, more of them on it. And, Dirty and, things. And turn them over quicker. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> cats, they just don't know it, but they, they are destined to go vegan yeah, as well. They really? <laughs> they've never liked fish. or Poor dang cats. Cats are already depressed enough. Yeah. I'm going to put them on vegan. This will turn them around. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, that, that's my point, though, is like <clears throat> Shiza. You well, know, even beyond now, or at least eating. we're using the animals, and there's right. no difference in methane uh, emissions, and so, you know, there is no big freaking deal about it um, when you look Strictly at it in that context. The ruminant side of things—is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, let's say that flashback to 1850, roughly 100 million ruminants. Flash forward to today, maybe roughly 100 ruminants. Um, so that checks out. But the rise in methane is occurring, so that almost supports the notion of look elsewhere to fix the problem if indeed sure. the rising methane well, is yeah, look, the issue, we, you know? This was all pre-industrialization, and right. now we're, right. you know, look at us. We're, we're the industrial leader of the world, you know? Yeah. And so we've created so much more methane. And back then we had, you know, there was the Plains Indians, and then we had some American settlers on the, on the eastern coast. But the Americas... Population, total population in America back in the 1800 was probably, I don't know what, but I bet it was something like 10 million people total. That's going to get 6,000. Yeah, right. It might be 6,000, <laughs> but now we got 350 million, you know? Yeah. And 20, more more pouring in every day. So but, the uh, 1850 census was 23 million. Yeah. For those that couldn't hear him, it was 6,000. He confirmed that I was right. Yeah. 6,000. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> that wasn't so guess. Smart, smart guess. So definitely Doctor. it's the it's our, it's our other influences, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. it depends how many bloody volcanoes, you know, erupt as well. Yeah. And um, But that even if you erupt today, like Mount Erebus, you know, or um, what was the big one out in... Um, Helena, what was that one in Oregon? Um, the huge Mount Saint one. St. Helens? St. Helens, yeah. Well, imagine that, but after the, to your point, Tommy, after 12 years, that's all turned over. Right. So you have a huge spike and then it's gone. Right. It doesn't persist. Yeah. But anyway, back to the buffalo. That's fantastic. When, when Lewis and Clark came across the prairie, and I think it was in 1804 and 1805, you know, I think you read the book, both of you guys, The Undaunted Undaunted Courage, mm-hmm. yeah. which is one of the greatest books. S- Stephen you know. Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose, right, 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 right. They first, you know, they were the first sort of white people, other than the mountain men that had pre- preceded them, to, to, to chronicle the buffalo, the American bison. And then they, um, they killed the first one, they shot it into because they're curious and hungry and uh, in Vermilion, South Dakota, I believe is where really? they shot the first one. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, anyway, that were, they were the precursor to manifest destiny. You know, Jefferson yeah. sent them out on this mission and the, the whole book is a chronicle of, of adventure, but also of chronicling the, the game, you know, the, the millions of deer and elk and, and Buffalo that they saw. Um, just in general, they, I, I think they, part of their mission and part of the support they got for it was sending back anything new they encountered. So That's they identified right. like 200 plants, you know, yeah. maybe it's a number like that wow. and maybe, maybe another 200 types of yeah. insects and animals and things yeah. that had never been encountered before yeah. by the, the new settlers. Right. So yeah. That was part you of know. Jefferson, wanted it for the Smithsonian. Yeah. Right. This is yeah. cool. The uh, Lewis and Clark discovered 122 new animal species. There you go. Yeah. Including iconic American fantastic. animals. 
like the grizzly bear, coyote, prairie dog, and bighorn. Imagine not knowing grizzly bears exist oh, no. and Can finding you one. Just even like setting out 122 new things you encounter and not and knowing what in, any of them are. Do they have to name them all? <laughs> well, imagine having like thinking. They're all named Lewis or Clark. <laughs> Clark one, Clark two. <laughs> Lewis. They renamed them when they got back to Washington. But that is yeah. crazy. No, that's. Imagine making the mistake of thinking that gr- that beer looks very cute. I think I'll pet him. <laughs> I suppose they had knowledge of other bears, just not. Yeah, yeah, not big bear. grizz. No, so it was fan. It was absolutely s- staggering. And then, do you know also that they? I remember reading in there to to a man they had to hunt every day. You know, they had hunting parties um, to keep them all fed and and um, and going. They burned a lot of energy, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they ate uh, nine to ten pounds of meat a day. <laughs> yeah, you know, to be lean. Nine too. to ten pounds, and they were lean as hell. Yeah, you know, just pure muscle. Yeah, and um, so that says a lot about our diet. You know. Yeah. Shout out to Sean Baker. Yeah, I was say, sounds, <laughs> sounds similar. Yeah, and the voyages too. Reading about the voyages, I'm a little bit off track, but the buffalo <laughs> did run up to Great Slave Lake. You know, way up where the voyages traveled. So they chronicled them as well. Those bloody voyages, they weren't much bigger than like five, six, five, eight. They carried 120 pounds on their backpack, you know, with pelts mm. and food and supplies and canoes. And they ate 10 pounds a day of of meat and fat, you know, per person. Wow. 10 pounds. It takes <laughs> so long. It's like... Yeah, right. Yeah, what? Are you eating on the go? I guess, but like, <laughs> think of how long. Like, you've got a lot to do. You're like gonna spend nine hours of their day is eating. Yeah, <laughs> and you know when they packed, they didn't they didn't pack any vegetables or fruit. No. None. No. Just what they could shoot and eat and trap. Yeah. And it was all meat and, and all it, fat. And it goes to show most mm. nutrient. You can get a lot of nutrients out of out of meat. Not all. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Pretty good chunk. Dang right. So back to the buffalo. So we had to get rid of them. That's the bloody tragedy, you know, to to solve the Indian problem, um, you know, which is just yeah. Talk through that for a minute, maybe. What the uh, what it was referred to, like yeah, the Indian question. The Indian that's right. (laughs) Like what to do with them, you know, because they couldn't. It was impeding settlement. It was impeding manifest destiny, you know. And um, it's a tragic, an absolute, well, trail of tears, right? But mm. it's just an absolute tragic epoch of um, our Americans' history, you know, of how we, how, we, how we destroyed all the Indian nations and took their land. And mm-hmm. That's another podcast, but, um, but one of the ways they had to solve it, because the Plains Indians, you know, the Comanche, the Apache, you know, Empire of the Summer Moon, that's another shout-out to a great book. Um, and um, blood and thunder and and um, the Plains Indians, but they were too fierce. They're warrior nations, you know, and we couldn't they couldn't um, subdue them in the in the vast American prairie, the American desert, which they called it, but it's actually obviously the, one of the most fertile prairies in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, these Plains Indians, all the way from the Sioux and the Crow and the Cheyenne, Shoshone, and the Navajo, and the Comanche, and the anyway, the whole Apache, of course. The only way they, you know, I think it was Sheridan, who's the famous Civil War, you know, um, Confederate uh, Union general. 
who led the you know the the burning of to Atlanta, the scorched earth policy, total war. Mm. Well, I think it was Sheridan, and I might have it a little wrong, but I'm pretty close. Um, you know, he was he was instrumental in 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 the policy of the only way we'll snuff them out is to get rid of their food mm. and their livelihood. You know, and that was Buffalo. Mm. So they encouraged. And it was a terrible uh, uh, a confluence of events that came technology in the form of railroads and guns and ammo. You know, the long guns they used were they used the sharps and the 50 cals and, mm-hmm. um, and the ammo to, to go with them, breech loaders, and the railroads to transport people um, to, to populate the prairie quickly after the yeah. After you depop the Indians and the, the first the buffalo, then the Indians, and um, and so they 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 encouraged in the tune of free ammunition to buffalo hunters to shoot as many buffalo as they could, um, to you know to get rid of the food so that it would motivate so called motivate the Indians to move off their land. And um, would they the take other... anything when they'd shoot them? They just let them lay. Oh, it's so bad. Like the tongue and the hide. The hide, right? Yeah. Tongue and the and the tongues and the and the hides. The, the store they'd stake them down and yeah, the hides with a right horse and the two horses. And there's pull them off. Two yeah. skinners, a shooter, two skinners Correct. and a horse or two mules. Just stories of mm-hmm. fields just th- yeah. littered with. Skin, hundreds and hundreds, but yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> fully intact buffalo bison. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, and then the industrial might of America, the engine of industry, was really cranking up, and there was a demand for back east, you know, for buffalo parts in terms of hides and tongues. I don't know why they wanted tongues so bad, but they did. They often shoot the herd, like Jack said. They shoot a thousand head and cut the tongues out and yeah. take the hides. Easy and that to was get it. and they're a delicacy of some sort? A delicacy, I think. Pickled tongue. They put them in barrels and pickled them and sent them back east. Um, nothing else. Yeah. It's a- and, um, but the, the hides they called robes, and the robes were valuable for clothing in the east. They became fashionable in Europe as well, and then, but also for pulleys in factories because they didn't have um, rubber you know, like we have rubber belts now for yeah. belt driver pulleys, but buffalo leather was so strong that that's they used that for that as well. Mm. And um, but famously, you know, they they shot them. The buffalo hunters they were they were a rough crowd, you know. But they demolished the herd. You would think that you couldn't get rid of them. Like when Lewis and Clark went across the prairie, they had to wait like five days one time for the for the northern herd to cross in front of them, you know. <laughs> there was that many, millions of them. They just had to wait for them. It was a, it was a, an ocean of buffalo. And they thought there would be no way you could ever, ever put a dent in this, yeah. you know. Mm. But, but you know, but we did, you know. And within, within a span of like tw- 20 years, we killed the southern herd first. It was like in the 1840s. And then when when we were able to reach further north to the north herd, that was a bigger herd. We snuffed them out in about ten years. There was about thirty-five million buffalo shot and killed in ten years. Mm. Jeez. So it was unreal. Almost went 
extinct. Yeah. Well, I mean, I for a long time it basically it. was, but what what's it today? The wild-ish population, like it's got to be just tens of thousands rather than yeah anywhere close tens to of thousands. Yeah. Well, I know when thousand. Yeah. Okay. Thirty thousand. Yeah. And that's Private. they're farming, oh, you know, with farming and reintroducing them. Right. Right. Yeah. There's well, feed yards and stuff like that with them. Oh, sorry. Four hundred thousand are raised as livestock. However, yeah, okay. so but like, like the wild ones at the yeah, national parks 30, is thirty thousand. Yeah, so yeah, basically none. Yeah, right. You know, they that's incredible because the um the horned Hornady he wrote the book in wow. um William Hornady. Oh, sorry, I'm reading another the head of the Smithsonian. I find this interesting that mm-hmm. as few as twelve thousand to fifteen thousand pure bison are estimated to remain in the world. Hmm. What would the other option be? A cross with cattle somehow? Or? Yeah, crossed. Sorry to beefalo, de- derail us, but that's an interesting beefalo. stat. Yeah, I think that's something. I don't know what it means to be pure. I don't know how that. Nothing for be. me to throw out a stat and then have nothing to back it up mm. with. <laughs> like those 400,000 that are on feed. Sure. Aren't they? I don't think those are. Beef low though they're just actual bison, so I don't know what that. Yeah, I don't know what that means. We'll look into it next time. Sorry, yeah. Dad, you're talking about Hornady and. Yeah, well, he wrote this <coughs> great book right at the end of the slaughter, in like in the late 1800s. He was the head of the Smithsonian Institute, and he chronicled he and his team after the buffalo hunters were done. There was only 655 buffalo left in all of America. Jeez. <laughs> 60 million down to 600. Yeah. Yeah. And all wasted. And all wasted. Even the robes, one out of four robes made it to market. Three mm. out of four rotted, you know, mm. and decomposed, and they had to, they just abandoned them or threw them away. Yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. It was the only objective was clear it out because we need to take the food source from the Native Americans and let us settle. But yeah. And that was... And there was a lot of money to be made. Yeah. You know, and the stampede to make money. Yeah. You know, they were paid. Buffalo hunters could make more money if they they had a good setup. Mm -hmm. Um, In those two, three years that they shot them, um, you know, they could make more money in those three years than someone, a cowboy could in a whole lifetime. Mm. And and then back east, you know. But the money was coming from, well, the products that they would get, but also government. Support to hunt or no? Were they yeah. paying people to hunt? No, well they're, they're just providing free the ammunition. Okay, yeah, and the and then the um, you know, as I said, there was a confluence of fact, tragic factors. Yeah. The government's incentive, the military's incentive, the uh, the avarice of the hunter to make money, and the industrial need of the factories, which was just booming, mm-hmm. and then the fashion. Of Europe, you know, and uh, to wear, you know, prime buffalo robe coats mm. that all came together in the tragic calamity of the of the buffalo and then the Indians, you know. Mm. And tragically, I read, you know, even Sitting Bull, who is the famous Sioux Hunk Papa chief, you know, who defeated the 7th Cavalry, mm-hmm. Custer, who mm-hmm. famously said, like, you know, Months before, there aren't enough Indians alive to defeat the Seventh Cavalry, <laughs> and then he, you famous know, be careful. Words. Famous last <laughs> words. 
Yeah, they were at the Battle of uh, Little Bighorn. You know, they were they were killed to a man. Um, their only survivor of the Seventh Cavalry was a horse, ironically called Comanche. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. But so he met his end. But Sitting Bull partook in the with some white hunters and about a thousand braves of the um, of his tribe in the last uh, uh, slaughter of buffalo in the Dakotas. They they killed the last herd of ten thousand buffalo. Um, Why? Why was in like eighteen ninety three? Why did he partake a, in that? Well, one they were they were starving. Oh, so they okay. and um. They they were pursuing you know they were pursuing the Sioux as one of the last you know tribes to be contained or to be put onto you know defeated mm-hmm. and they had relentlessly pursued him up into Canada where he had where he had taken his people to try and escape mm-hmm. you know the constant um, persecution of the U.S. military. And um, but they were starving out because all the buffalo, you know, that had, that traveled between U.S. and Canada had been slaughtered, and so they eventually, you know, he had several thousand people to feed and be responsible for. They came back down and and um, anyway, so so partook in this last tragic mm. roundup, you know. So, so that was the end of the buffalo. Yeah, and then that created started a void. the created the void, and that started the cattle industry, hmm. which is the, you know, which is another amazing era, of, yeah. of American history. You know, you can't escape in America the the mystique of the, of course the, the Indian tribes, and um, the buffalo, the rugged terrain, and and the cattle and the cowboy, you know, it's. That mystique has traveled all the way to New Zealand and to Tanzania and to Ethiopia and to Lebanon. And every corner of the world is, has an understanding of this mystique. Yeah. You know. The Rocky. American yeah. cowboy. Yeah. And the Indians and the, Indian. the Rockies and the yeah. buffalo and the, the way of life. You know, it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful yeah. story. Even kids... Growing up, you used yeah. to play yeah. cowboys and Indians. Exactly, was a, a you can't help it, man. It's like yeah. we're so attracted to it. <laughs> you know, you give, you give. Like even when you boys were little, you couldn't, we couldn't wait to to pair up. All right, you're Indians, we're cowboys. You know, go make some spears, and mm-hmm. we'll go make bow and arrow, whatever. It's like <laughs> we did that back in New Zealand. You couldn't help it. Yeah, you know, you just love it. So anyway, we pushed off the cattle. And that brought in the, you know, the again, it brought in this void of the great prairie. Pushed off the bison. Pushed off the buffalo, sorry. Yeah. And um, and now the investors came. It was this. So back in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, um, that void was quickly filled by the um, by the uh, money hungry uh, industrial tycoons, who saw a great chance now to feed cattle for free. Hmm. on this huge range that used to feed 60 million buffalo. And so the investors from Scotland and, and uh, England and, and France and, the, and then out in Boston and New York, uh, the Vanderbilts, Rockefellers, Rothschilds, um, the biggest names of industry and money, the railroad barons, 
They all poured money into cattle. Hmm. Yep. So we, the American cattle industry started basically as a uh, corporate farming <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, Not as a family yeah. farm. It started as corporates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big investors. It was a gold did, rush. Did we have cattle here in the Americas, in North America? Yeah. Just in, like, what did that look like before the void happened? Was Yeah. Did they import a bunch they from came Europe from, then? They came from Spain. Okay. Yeah. But when did we first bring... I mean, have they been with us as soon as Europeans came to North America? Well, the Spanish came early, you know. And did they bring cattle? With? Yeah, okay. they bought them early, along with horses. Yep. Like, horses okay. came to America. We even forgot to talk about bloody horses. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Jesus, the horses came here, like, in the 1500s, and their Plains Indians got hold of horses in the 1650s, like the Comanche and the, you know, mm-hmm. the Apache. and mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and um, and it transformed their life too. It made them much more fierce warriors, and it made them way better killers of buffalo. Mm-hmm. Remember, you had to do it on foot before, yeah, or start a fire and run them off a cliff. <laughs> but now yeah. they had horses. Had the horse. They were unstoppable. Yeah. And then you think that helped increase their populations on the prairie, too. You know, through nutrition. Fertility and nutrition. They mm-hmm. stabilize their food. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but it's fantastic, you know. And, but uh, um, so yeah, we had we had cattle, and they were lo- they were the, they're they're the Longhorns. Okay. They, they were these m- crazy fighting bulls out of Spain. <laughs> they came and they dropped them into me- northern Mexico, Texas, hmm. in the mesquite, and they're the wildest freaking breed of animal. I mean, <laughs> you look at them. You know, and they'll come for you. Really? They, were, they were more scared of those dang longhorns, those early longhorns, than they were of like cougars. <laughs> it's like what we think about modern day bison today. Yeah, that yeah. was what they replaced them with. Was a even more fierce animal, right? So they had them running basically free, and they had been free range running free wild in Mexico. And this is great because it leads us into Lonesome Dove, which I <laughs> want to talk about. And that's the next six hours. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> we love episodes. Lonesome Dove. <laughs> but they, you know, remember in Lonesome Dove when Gus and, and Woodrow called, they said we're going to make a run to Mexico and round up cattle, and we're taking them north. And because um, they cattle were free, run, free ranging, a lot of them, and they were just raided, you know. But there was something like five million free running cattle in in Texas hmm. back in. As in nobody owned time. them. No one really wild. owned them wild and and running free. It's crazy and, um, to think about wild. Yeah, cattle. and so they yeah. s- that's what they seeded. Then once the pra- the open prairie opened up, they got rid of the 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 warrior Indian tribes. Then they, you know, famously the Goodnight Loving Trail um, pushed out of uh, Texas all the way up to Montana. And the the big movie that's a sensation today, you know, Yellowstone movie, yeah. is loosely based on, you know, Lonesome Dove, which is loosely based on the Goodnight Loving hmm. Trail Drive, which took the first Texas cattle all the way up to Montana. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fantastic. And then ultimately... Wyoming or Cheyenne wasn't that the yeah. final destination of the trail? Yeah, or Cheyenne was became the cattle center. It was like a Las Shifted Vegas a of few the times. world. Yeah, mm-hmm. Las Vegas of the gambling world. Cheyenne was the cattle epicenter of the cattle 
where all the cattle barons came. There was more money mm. per capita in Cheyenne than any in than any city of the world. Really? Yeah. During that time period? During that like a 10, 12 year time period. Wow. Yeah. So how many I mean, that's obviously multiple states they crossed through, but the miles like Yeah. How long would those trips take to if the objective is bring cattle, these cattle all the way up to Cheyenne? Seven hundred mile route through yeah. West Texas and New Mexico. Um, seventy days. You know. Well yeah. maybe ten miles a day. Mm. You know. And um but tough going. A lot of obstacles along the way. Yeah. Especially the first time. Imagine a huge yep. herd of cattle would leave a pretty good path for the next time you do it. But Well, there's a problem too, you know, they open grazing. So now we go back to the tragedy of the commons. Mm-hmm. We talked about how they because they no one owned the buffalo. Everyone was in for it to kill them as fast as you could to make the most money. Well, same with the open grazing of the prairie. It's like because it didn't cost you, you didn't have to buy the land. It was just free grazing. Mm-hmm. It's like whoever can get the most cattle in there gets to eat free, yeah. make the most money. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. So they started bringing cattle in from Europe. Of course, the, that was the seed stock, bringing the Herefords and the Angus bulls in and, and um, crossing them with the longhorn. And, but um, there was this huge rush to put cattle there for free. And then they overgrazed you know, big areas of it. And... Mm. Um, and um and um well it went bust like any any um what do you say gold rush you know they they boom and they boom. bust yep and a, and the big bust of it was in like in 18 well it's called the big die up 18 87 88 okay um, but that was a huge event the cold front the or the the big storm yeah the, Killed the them most all. terrible winter. Winter of 86 to 87. 86 and 87, yeah. <laughs> Called the big die-up. It killed like 60% of all the Western cattle. Hmm. They all died. Wow. And that, and that, the, the, all these big cattle baron companies, they were, they were, they were running into financial trouble because of overgrazing and too much competition, swamped the market. Yep. Um, a typical boom bust cycle, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the and uh, and the and the big die up put the big exclamation point on it. It was that- so cold, it was like minus seventy, and blowing blizzards for weeks. And oh my gosh! Just it pushed the cattle because buffalo will stand in a storm. They're very very interesting animal. When it storms, no matter how hard, big a big Alberta clipper or whatever, they stand head first into it. Hmm. And hmm. um, but cattle and horses run from a bad storm. They turn and, and yeah. with their back and run from it, and they run into ravines. And yeah, then of course, gather in the low spots. Yeah, and hmm. we know here, living in North Dakota, you know what happens in the ravines. They fill up with mm-hmm. you know ten, twenty, thirty foot of drift, yeah. snow drift. Yeah, they all suffocated. Wow. So um, the big die off. Then that was kind of the end for the big corporations. They had enough. They and pulled then, their money out. They took their money, whatever was left, back to Europe and back to the East Coast. Mm. And then followed in the farmers yeah, and the families. You'd guess, I think most people today would probably think that that's what came yeah. first. I know. You know, farmer. But it isn't. Yeah. Yep. Families with a couple head of cattle and yep. that was it. But that came, came second. Yep. They, the market had been established that there's a need for the cattle and then the 
yeah. corporations got booted yeah. out of it, and then that paved the way for them. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting uh, that piece because they, you know, another advent of technology, barbed wire was invented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now they could farm off, and then part of the government to get people to live there. Remember, they gave them a section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go there and put your f- stake on it. And then mm-hmm. walk to town or ride a horse to town, you know, 20 miles or 50 miles away and then sign your paper and that's your land. Yeah. 160 or 360 acres, just 80 acres. Were they just using, was it just wooden fence prior to barbed wire or just yeah. complete, I mean, to some extent maybe open range? I don't know. Yeah, like, it was open range. and, and um, Talk about an easy sales pitch once you've got that invented. Yeah. And barbed wire was <laughs> so, just like so handy for him to use that. Or they to, made well. It was just, of course, there was fortunes made in barbed yeah. wire. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't make it fast enough. Yeah. And um, but it transformed the. That was the end of the open prairie and the great, you know, um, mm-hmm. corporate farming in America was finished. And the mm-hmm. big money, you know, the big money guys, they didn't love cattle. Mm-hmm. The only one I ever read about who really loved cattle was Teddy Roosevelt, hmm. you yeah. know, the Rough Rider. Yeah, and, you know, and he tributes his character being formed by his years in in the Badlands of North Dakota when he established the Elkhorn Ranch. You know, mm-hmm. and that that saved him. He he credits that to saving him because he, I think tragically you could look it up, Jack, but I think he lost his wife and his daughter in the same day. They both died, or the I think same his week. wife and mother. His wife and mother was it on the same day? It was unbelievable. Yeah, and um, and it crushed him, killed you know, and he went to his ranch and yeah. and recovered himself. His wife and mother died of wife and mother typhoid like, fever on the same day. Uh, yeah, and he loved them both like absolutely. Yeah, and um, so Teddy Roosevelt, you know, he actually loved the the West. And, and henceforth, you know, his greatest legacy mm-hmm. is the state parks, mm-hmm. national parks. Yep. Because he loved, he loved the West and he loved the he animals. He discovered that area from buffalo hunting, I think. Yeah. Like the, the Medora area or like where he ended Bad up lands. having that. Um, yeah, where the ranch ended up being yep. placed for him. I think he was exposed to it from a buffalo hunter or taking yep. along on a buffalo yep. hunting trip. Yep. That, I bet that's right. And then he, ended but he up went staying. bust there too, with the mm. big die up. He lost like seventy percent of his herd. Oh, and he so was he was finished. yeah. I was he a big he in it. cattle? Yeah, he invested in, okay. in cattle and ranch out there. And it's um, funny, I don't. But know. he didn't. He didn't begrudge it. He, sure. He loved it to the day he died. You know, like it was. He was. He's intrinsically um, uh, iconic for, as a cowboy and a. Mm-hmm. A, a rough rider for his exploits in the American Spanish War, you know, um, charging, uh, I think, in Cuba, I think, the rough riders. Mm. But anyway, yeah. the rest of them didn't care about cattle. They wanted mm-hmm. money. Yeah. You, you understand? So they figured out they got burned so bad in this um, early venture on the open range, they decided that they would stick all their money into railroads and packing plants mm. yeah. and stay out of the Stay out of the biology. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. Know, raising cattle. And to be fair, that's pretty smart play. <laughs> pretty smart. If you want to make money, they did the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They learned. Yeah. So is that's that what the still hold true today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Seems, That's where all the money is. Seems to be. Yeah. Is that what kind of the next stage yeah. of the history of the cattle it is. in the United States was the yep. big investment to get the herds going yep. and then so the again, die up and then what? The yep. So now we got technology and railroads were built, the transcontinental railroads and and all the little finger lines. So now we got all the population on the East Coast and they're hungry for beef, you know, mm-hmm. and they still are today, thank God. And now we got all these cattle that we they used to ship them to the, the East Coast um, live. Oh. And the only way they get them there is you got to drive them up out of Texas and to Abilene and to Omaha, which are still mm-hmm. famous cattle towns, you know. Mm-hmm. But they were the juncture for putting live cattle onto tr- rails and sending them. Um, out east to be killed, but um, and there was a lot of money to be made in it, and that supported pushing cattle up there. But okay, there's two things that happened. One was these cattle coming out of Texas had a had a disease called Texas fever. Yeah, hmm. yeah, they carried it on the ticks. They had no idea about disease back then or vectors like ticks and hosts and secondary hosts. They had no idea. They just knew that if if northern cattle got associated with Texas cattle, they all freaking died. <laughs> yeah. And and, um, and so they they didn't understand what was happening. Now we know it's a, it a protozoa parasite that a tick carries. And the Texas cattle were immune to them, but the ticks would ride on the cattle, you know, all the way up to Kansas or Wyoming mm-hmm. or Minnesota or Wisconsin, whatever, drop the ticks off. Then the little bastards will climb up on our on our northern cattle and kill them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they were smart enough to figure out the association between Texas and Texas bad <laughs> and cattle, cattle and in our, South Dakota. You know, yeah, right. They figured that out. So then they banned any more of the cattle drives. So all hmm. this cattle driving out of Texas, the Chisholm Trail and the and the Goodnight Loving Trail, um, they 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 had to shut her down because of this problem. What did you send a photo I, of? Yeah, did, he, you, did uh, you see that, those pictures? Yeah, so but it, I wish I could led, share them on the... I was just looking into it before this, um, mm-hmm. and I sent the... the cattle, I don't know if you had a chance to see oh, the, dipping. the pictures, dipping but the stations? cattle dipping. Yeah. yeah. So what's going on here? What are they... We used to do that at home. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's called a long dip. Yeah, tell long us about that. Is, yeah, a long dip is where you put um, chemicals into a, a bath. It's a trench. A long dip means it might be, um, let's say it's 40 foot long. They have to walk through it. No, they have to swim in it. Swim, okay. Yeah, so it's about uh, maybe eight foot deep well, yeah. of yeah, water. The, the picture I sent, it's just the head sticking up out of yeah. it. Yeah. And, and then as they swim along it, you're up on the sides of the kids, and you have a big long pole, you know, like a 10-foot pole uh, with a T-bar on the end of it. And as the cattle swim along in front of you, your job is to put that pole on top of their head and plunge the head <laughs> under the water. <laughs> So that everyone gets completely submersed, and wow. um, that's dipping um, to kill the parasites, yeah. uh, the external ticks. Is it a chemical? You, you yeah, say? yeah. You pour oh, okay. chemicals in there, like it's a pyme- pyme- pyrethrin or they something. They invented or whatever the I don't know the exact chemical that they used, but it was the tick. This exact thing, the Texas fever, the identifying mm-hmm. that indeed it was the tick that did it. I think it was the very first example, um, at least on a big scale of. Showing how the one a host animal and another animal can get sick from the host animal, but it wasn't actually the host animal doing it. So this interspecies transfer of hmm. disease yeah. was right. like 
this tick was the first example, one of the first That's examples it. that changed the way of thinking for how well we understand you know, malaria. Disease and, Wait, yes, say exactly. that again. The so the host animal is sick. Okay. But maybe it's immune, or but it's carrying it. But it's the tick that's actually doing the damage. So if the tick gets onto the other animal, carries that protozoa sure. onto that animal, it looks like it's the cattle that passed it, but it's actually the it's not. It's the, the vector thing. is the, the tick. Sure. And so that changed. Yeah, malaria is probably mm. the biggest example of yeah, that line of thinking. Plague. Yeah. But they right. didn't understand this vector thing until, you're right, the, was it McKinnon or someone, the scientist who figured it out? Yeah. It's like a huge medical breakthrough. Big breakthrough in science. Um, yes, and mm-hmm. so I think these dipping stations were they? Did they predate it? Or no? I think they were after they knew what it was. Yeah, but I think there's the twelve or fifteen states that kind of had cattle in that area. They all bought into these dipping stations then, yeah, and they it had to really. It worked. Worked. Wow. It so sounds good. like they basically eradicated that tick. Tick. Yep. yep. Huh. Yeah, we used to do so, it at home. What with sheep or with cattle? Yeah, sheep and cattle. What would you be doing it for? You're swimming in there with them. Yeah, for yeah. Uh, lice bleed. control. Okay. Oh, lice. Yeah. No ticks in New Zealand, but lice. Hmm. And um, very effective. Ah, I didn't Send know the you kids did. through. Yeah, it burns your eyes. I know that. If you get it in your eyes, the splash. <laughs> yeah. Burns like hell. Jeez. <laughs> And then they're like being stupid. They try and jump. Some of them, some of them, you got to push in there, and others will take a run at it, you know, and try and <laughs> jump like, the whole thing. Right, like Jesse Owens or something, <laughs> jump the whole bloody thing. <laughs> no, it's it's a real rodeo. Yeah. Uh huh. That's interesting. I'd never that? heard of that. Yeah. It's pretty effective, aren't they? Totally the, effective. Uh, similar uh, technology is still used, right, in the big uh, mm-hmm. swine. Facilities, you, yeah. I think you mentioned they are the really, yeah. really high secure ones. They're right. swimming facilities, swim right? Facilities, yeah. For Put your virus. head under, right? Not for ticks and lice. But no, for, I know, but just yeah, the, but for um for any virus that are hanging on your hair or on your mm-hmm. skin, they um they uh, some of the big pig because pigs are very susceptible to some viruses like ASF, African swine fever, and PERS, mm-hmm. and uh, they biosecurity is huge, you know. Mm-hmm. So it used to be sh- shower in, shower out for everyone. You can't just walk in there. You got to shower in, put on clothes that never leave the building, mm. and then when you go to leave again, you take those clothes off. They get washed. You got to shower and then leave. So it's all compartment. But some of them have swimming facilities. <laughs> they make you swim under a bar, so you can't cheat and just walk through and keep your nice hair dry. <laughs> you come to the wall. The bar, and so you've got to go like under the water to come pool. up the other side. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah, so you got to sweat. You got to get totally immersed um, for the for virus control. Mm. Well, it's effective, isn't that something? Yeah, very different, but it is effective. I'm looking at the. There's no cheating photo. it because sometimes in the shower facilities you turn on the shower, so everyone thinks you're having a shower, but you're actually not. <laughs> Sneaky. So sneaky. You can't swim. You just don't get to enter. <laughs> right. It's on the job description. Must yeah, you must be must able to swim. At least swim in. Swim-ish. You don't yeah. care if you swim out. You yeah. have to swim in. <laughs> All right, back to bloody cattle. So now yeah. we got these cattle, and now they, they were shipping them live, but there's no money in that because no. actually all they want is the beef. And so the, and then you got the next piece of technology, which was um, refrigeration. Mm-hmm. They figured out how to put cut ice out of the Great Lakes and put it up on top of the rail cars. And um, and then you could kill the beef in Abilene or Omaha or, you know, St. Joseph, Missouri or Chicago. Yeah. 
you could kill them there and then just ship the valuable piece to the East Coast and leave all the hooves and hide and guts and and shit back in Chicago. And so prior to so that, refrigerated do you have any, idea, rail. any idea of what sort of thing, like say you ship 100 head of cattle live mm-hmm. all the way out east, what's the end product look like? Is there a lot of them dead in the... In the rail, or they're wasted dead away. and lost weight. Yep. Yeah, huge, huge loss. They call it shrink. Yeah. Yep. I think they shrunk twenty percent. Sure. Can you imagine. Yeah. Just and sick deads. Yep. It's terrible. Hold on. Go yeah, back you, to we we. I'm very interested yeah. in the um swimming. The swimming. Yeah. Go, <laughs> let's go back to the swimming. No, but it is about water. They took. Ice out of the Great Lakes and put them on. Train yeah, cars. well, that's that's the ice cutters was a whole industry but of how, cutting ice. Wouldn't that only work for a few months of the year? Yeah, so they 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 improvised. They cut ice ice, of course, up here where we are in Minnesota, North in you know in Minnesota and North Dakota. Here, um, we got we got four or five months of frozen ice. So they but the ice cutters, you know, were around the. Um, Obviously, that's another reason for Chicago becoming the central slaughterhouse mm-hmm. of the world. Mm. Um, but they cut it out of the Great Lakes or other lakes and into one foot, um, one foot square blocks. And um, you can see great pictures of ice cutters, big crews working on it. And then they buried it in sawdust uh, from because the lumber industry is in Wisconsin and mm-hmm. Illinois and Minnesota. So they have a lot of sawdust as well, because that's what built all the homes of the East Coast was our, you know, white cedars and our lumber from the Midwest. So they buried it in sawdust, and that carried it through the summer months. Um, could keep ice really. in the summer? Under yeah, they bury it wow. in, in caves and sawdust <laughs> and preserve it for use. <laughs> it's like a It would make it all summer. A- yeah, you could, well, it would stretch between the, yeah, the, the sea, the the right. bookends, you right. know. It's like a Yeti cooler commercial. Yeah, leaving <laughs> yeah. under Maybe sawdust all summer. Their walls with. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I know. I've well, never heard big, of this. It was hard work. Imagine like, cutting ice yeah. and then Look pull it out photos. with horse teams and and then sock it away in in these uh, canyons, you know, that are shaded year round and yeah. caves and buried in sawdust and so preserve like, it. Mm. So. Much mo- anyway, I'm caught up in the ice, but wow, yeah. that's fascinating. Well, anyway, then the the the, the drama because it's all about money too. Is that the the railroad barons were making so much money from uh, live cattle because it, well, it took up mm-hmm. so much more room rather than mm-hmm. just sending little bits of beef. Take the whole cow all the way, you know, from Abilene to New York, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't want this, so they tried to they tried to kill the uh, crush the Packers. The Chicago and the Midwest Packers—they tried to crush them. So there was a war of the titans, railroad barons versus the Packer barons, and the and the and in the Packers won, of course. We know that today, and they're mm-hmm. still winning. Uh, but the way they beat them is they is they got a railway line to run out of out of Chicago and up through Michigan, I think, and run up through Canada. And so it wasn't running on U.S. rails. And then it would drop, go all the way to the Niagara or whatever, and then drop down into New York there, and they and they and they basically um, starved out the U.S. railroad barons and wow. beat them, and beat them into submission, you know, and um, and and um, and that changed everything, you know. Then that became Chicago was the pa- home of the. 
Packer industry, Green <laughs> Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. Chicago. It's the team. It's the team. Yep. Mm. And um and that transformed the cattle industry as well. You know, it seeded it in the West. It allowed the cattle to move off the prairie and get fattened up here mm-hmm. in the corn belt, as we've talked before, and then get processed right next door in Green Bay and Chicago, and then the refrigerated rails to to the East Coast. Back to Teddy Roosevelt for a second. Yeah. All of this success from the Packers led to um, the first example in the in the cattle industry of this, you know, the the five, four or five, five or six big players, the yeah, Packers. Time, right? But, you yeah. know, the um, fixing the market a little bit and, and doing mm-hmm. some of that uh, yeah. market manipulation. But didn't Teddy bring forth the bill? He did. Or the, um, yep. I don't know, it was the bill. Yeah. What was it? This is the Swift. Swift and Co. versus USA. Yeah. 1902. Yeah. Yeah, so he yeah he bought he, the antitrust yeah. to ba- to break up the beef trust, which was yeah. six packers, Hay and Armour and Swift and um, Schwarzschild and I can't remember, but there was six of them. Morris, they, yeah. Morris, yeah, they and Wilson, right? They they mm-hmm. controlled like seventy percent of the market, and they were fixing prices, of course, mm-hmm. which is what they love to do. <laughs> they still love to do because. Yeah. Because why not? You know. I remember reading a, a quick example of how they would do that even back then. Was say <laughs> you they had the you know slaughter plant in Omaha, and then there's one in Chicago and maybe Kansas City. There's a couple of options. So you ship them. So you bring your cattle to Omaha. They offer you a price for them. If you don't like that price, you say I think they'll get a better one in Chicago. By the time your cattle get there, they've already made the call. They're in cahoots, telling them to offer them ten cents lower. So they're always incentivized to now take their first offer. And so they can. It's pretty, pretty cheeky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pretty clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's only four of you playing the get, doing all the buying. It's not hard to fix it. You know, you That's... can come to a mutual understanding where we don't need to bloody each other too much. Yeah. You know, let's not overcompete for cattle. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We'll just keep it among ourselves. And I think with this, when it got brought forward, then they decided all six would just join into one. Big group, anyways. Yeah. So then they, but I think this, that was the solution. Well, like they wanted it to be, but then Just I think to go this to a antitrust thing actually ended up breaking it up, at least at the time. Yeah, they can't have collusion right. if you're just one. Yeah, the, right. Yeah. The, well, if you don't want <laughs> the six to work independently and communicate, we're That's just going to be one, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did it that accomplish was Teddy any- Roosevelt's uh, legacy? But it didn't. Did it, it didn't, accomplish anything? No, it didn't. Because we're what well, today, as we know, it's this yeah. No, they finally worse. reverted back, you know. But mm. for a short time, he broke mm-hmm. them up, and in, in the like in the nineteen twenties, and they were they were broke up. But then they amalgam, you know, they consolidated again, and some of the same players are, you know, maintained, and they were bought out and sold, and they're still represented today. Like mm-hmm. the roots of them of the of of some of the companies today are can be traced back then. <laughs> so. But anyway, it's it's uh, these are called oligopolies, you know. Yeah. Monopolies, but we see it in the tech industry today. So it's been repeated um you know with Facebook and yeah and um Twitter, Amazon, I don't know, but mm-hmm. in the tech industry is also very overrepresented by very few companies. Mm-hmm. Um and uh like the packer industry, but 
Tiedis stay. There's well, no, the Packer industry. Natural, right? Like, right, exactly. It's, like it's, it's. I get that you break it up, but certainly in the beef packing, where it's only effective on scale. Like, yeah, it's like, right. It's really there's. It's, it's obvious why it keeps going back towards this because right. it's just you have to be set up to do anything efficiently. Yeah, yeah. and unless you're big, you're never going to make money at it. Mm, like, right. So it's right. Yeah. yeah, it's not a question it sucks, as to why it happens. Like how do you, yeah, no, exactly. it's like a, correcting it is not simple no, or possible. A, maybe well, it's certainly not enough. It's like an irresistible no. force. Yeah. yeah, correct. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're in a truly let, you know, capitalistic, you know, the right. the invisible hand guide, like that's what happens yeah. is with yeah, in, in this industry for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, and it's so entrenched now and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's become well, and global. It's so big. It's global. It's, the same yeah. players are not just in the U.S. You know, two of the bigger, uh-huh. two of the big four here are Brazilian. Oh. Mm-hmm. Is it one and, Chinese? Um, and Smithfield and the hog business oh, the hogs, is Chinese. Yeah. yeah. And um, and they're and they're all over the world. You know, Brazil is the largest, you know, meat protein processor in the world. Brazilian companies. That's what they do. They're mm. so good at it. And now they're, you know, you can find them everywhere. And they will be. They'll be just keep growing. They'll be in all over Africa soon, and they'll mm. be. I mean, they have the know-how. Yeah. They have the money. Correct. You can't like they're so big and and good at what they do. Yep. You can't. There's you can't enter that. You can't no. enter that game and hope to <laughs> hope to come out with even a, an ounce of your skin left. No. What's the figure on like the beef industry itself? Is like is it two percent of GDP? It's huge. It's the, I mean, the industry is just ginormous, yeah. and if they're the ones at the top of the food chain, yeah, no pun intended. No, that's kind of it. I mean, the scale, the size of these, and the power is just staggering. Staggering, yeah. Well, this this is yeah. just meat. This stat it says that the uh, what percent of the U.S. GDP is meat? Five point six percent. Yeah, I mean that's okay. that's and not just beef. So that but would put beef at probably. Yeah, beef one to two percent, biggest piece of that. Yeah, and beef's bigger than just meat, though. Right. Like you think of all the industry, yeah. right? You know, and all the I mean, small towns it supports through. Yep. Ranches and school boards, and oh, I mean everywhere, it's beef has a huge reach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it touches so many places. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So that's kind of how we. That's kind of how the in a big picture how the U.S. you know cattle industry got going, and um. And it's a juggernaut, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and the origins of it, you know, the clearing of the, of the great American prairies is the, is the darkest, one of the darkest chapters in American history, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other than probably slavery, you know. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's mind-boggling how, you know, how deeply tragic that is mm-hmm. um, on on many levels, at least on the human humanity level for the Plains Indians. But um, but anyway, then the, it did birth the cattle industry, and and um, and the cattle industry has been, you know, arose from that to become um, the leading cattle industry in the world, mm-hmm. American industry, best performance, you know. Uh, of any cattle industry in the world, I think in the last sixty years in America here, we've produced seventy uh, percent more beef per 
animal. Yeah, you know, seventy wow. percent more meat per an animal. Entire another Some, cow, right? So the tail cow. and the horn, yeah. the tail and the tongue and the hooves stay about the same, but we're putting seventy percent more meat beef on that frame. Yep. you know, wow. And we're doing it in less time, about half the time, mm-hmm. instead of taking three years to raise market market ready cow. You know, we're doing it in how fast, Tommy? We do. Once they cattle are finished, yeah, eighteen months, eighteen months, so about half, you know, yeah. their age. Yeah, and um, I know on CO two equivalents, you know, if you want to measure, um, you know, environmental footprint as an example, about sixty well, percent less. So yeah, well, it's an interesting point. Maybe to actually tie it back to the yeah. beginning a little bit of yeah. when we compared bison, sixty million plus all the wildlife, hundred million yeah. to just the ruminant domesticated ruminant industry today of 90 million say they're even the methane production if indeed that's the the metric we're concerned about would be vastly different based on diet that's mm-hmm. happening so today you know the the cattle that are receiving corn and high um, in a high intensive systems for sure are producing less um, methane per unit of gain um, mm. average day you know body weight put on mm-hmm. and so there's you know, it depends how you want to look at it because the overall animal is bigger and eating more. So there's maybe more gas production, but they're also gaining that much more yeah. weight. And so, and time to market is that much, you know, the days are fewer. So mm-hmm. it makes the the sustainability and environmental impact position actually pretty favorable compared to where the industry was. If you look mm-hmm. at it like... And where per, a, a non-domesticated animal is. Per yeah. pound of meat yep. using that as the unit of measurement what's yeah. the uh, what's the methane output is or carbon co2 it's going down going down or if you just compare it to making a comparison today of grass fed versus grain fed oh sure the equivalence of methane produced per pound um way less produced would be less for the for the grain fed, finished cattle i get that on the um just on the purely on time it takes longer to finish grass fed cattle but you mentioned yeah is that what you meant specifically about the diets or certain diets also produce less like if they eat grass are they going to produce more methane yep so that's where the the same people that Mm. you know that want the grass-fed beef would also like it to be more environmentally friendly sure but you can't have both in this sort of agreement because the the way the ruminant works is if they're eating more grass or fibers or Things like that, that the bison would have been grazing, you know, sure. exclusively eating grass. That promotes, I think we've talked about in previous episodes, but these volatile fatty acids mm-hmm. are the, the microbial end products of fermentation. And that's what the animal uses for energy. Well, acetate, propionate, and butyrate are the three main ones. And acetate and butyrate, they produce, um, they end up being a uh, hydrogen producer basically or a carbon producer and that ends up promoting methane production whereas propionate is a electron or hydrogen sink means it Hmm. uses the hydrogen and so when you feed them a fiber diet there's more acetate when you feed them a grain diet there's more propionate so if they're eating grain they're producing less methane if they're eating grass they're producing producing more methane and it's because of this acetate to propionate um, Hmm. difference in in how they're produced Mm. Interesting. There's gas loss with the acetate. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting Isn't tidbit it? for those that, while so, keeping in mind that overall it's still a, 
Yes. Like zoom out and it get back to where we started at the beginning. Still an ant on doesn't even matter. Correct. But yeah. for those that do want to argue about it, that's an interesting yeah. Yeah. angle. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of I mean, it's the easiest way to do it would just be to call everything kind of a a wash for yeah. our intents and purposes of saying hundred million back then, hundred million today. The numbers should roughly be similar, but yeah, there's definitely some discrepancies in Interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think the also the you know back to circle back the take home message could be that like don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like cattle, us raising cattle, providing great you know nutrition and and um. The produ- if they're producing methane, it means they're doing their job yeah. and they're converting the feed into <laughs> energy and then we're going to get food out of that. So also considering the that day they stop producing methane, we're, mm. we're screwed. Yeah. And because methane, if cattle aren't producing in methane, it's still going to be produced somewhere else from, is that true? If you could somehow like if you didn't get feed cattle the to not to, produce methane, they just wouldn't be, they wouldn't live. They correct. Live. But um, I'm saying that the grass, it doesn't get eaten and turned into oh, methane from cattle. Oh, it's I It's going to rot and turn into yep. methane anyway, right? Yep, and we're extracting a ton of value Correct. from that. those acres that wouldn't, exactly. they're not usable. It's like you can yeah. get methane plus beef or you can get methane. Yep, <laughs> and I don't know what the numbers would be without versus with, but that concept you to certainly out. applies. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, that's, that's Well, and, you know, and I hope we've sort of made the point that you know, pre pre industrialization and pre man's influence on farming cattle here, you know, it's pretty much a wash in terms of mm-hmm. the number of ruminants and and the methane produced um back in the fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds than it is today. So, you know, there is no net increase that's of that should be of any concern to anyone. So, you know, of all the things that people have got to worry about, at least we could say to them, you know, don't worry about this one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a storm in a teacup, you know. It's something that the um, that marketers with an agenda to get rid of cattle, get rid of food-producing animals, I think, is the bigger picture, um, that, are, that, are, that are using this to drive... You know this alarmism and um, this mission to sort of demonize farming cattle, and so so go ahead and eat your steak guilt-free. <laughs> Done. If you have to burp at the end of it, well, go ahead and do that too. You know, <laughs> don't worry about it. Will do. Will do. Very good. What do you guys think? I think that might be a good decent. way to. Close it out, huh? Yeah, I don't kind know. Kind of tied it back in. Mm-hmm. We didn't really get to touch on your. Turns out we love methane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get to talk too much about your horses and the how they. Oh, I would like to revisit the, the horses and yeah, and um and the lords of the plains. Yeah, mm. they just don't fit this one well because they don't produce as much methane. So no, we but about some them. they have some. They have some. Don't they have some uh, uh, hind gut fermentation? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So those horses do fart. They're the ones that fart. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> next time, Lord of the Plains and horses. Awesome. Yeah, sounds Thank good. you. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Cheers.